0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. This week's event occurred in the year 1949, and if you're a regular listener to this show, you'll know that we always look at what else happened that year. Well, on the 31st of January, Book at Bedtime makes its debut on the BBC Light programme. It's a long-running radio programme that is broadcast on BBC Radio 4 each weekday evening between 10.45 and 11 pm It features fiction usually read by well-known actors. You'll hear modern classics, new works by leading writers, and literature from around the world. Books are abridged and typically serialised over one or two weeks, and occasionally three. On February the 2nd, Brent J. Spiner was born in Houston. He's best known for his role as the android Data on the television series Star Trek The Next Generation. And exactly a month later, on March the 2nd, Cheryl Gates McFadden was born in Akron, Ohio. She is usually credited as Cheryl McFadden when working as a choreographer and Gates McFadden when working as an actress. She played Dr. Beverly Crusher in the television series Star Trek The Next Generation with Brent Spiner. On March the 28th, English astronomer Fred Hoyle coins the term Big Bang, during a BBC Third Programme radio broadcast. It was intended as an insult, as he didn't believe in that particular theory, and was a promoter of the panspermia theory that life exists throughout the universe, distributed by space dust, meteoroids, asteroids, comets, and so on. April the 28th, former First Lady of the Philippines, Aurora Quizon, age 61, is assassinated while en route to dedicate a hospital in memory of her late husband. Her daughter and ten others were also sadly killed. On August 21st, the Vatican announces that bones uncovered in its catacombs could be those of the Apostle Peter. And 19 years later, Pope Paul VI announces confirmation that the bones do belong to its first pope. On September the 6th, Howard Unruh, a World War II veteran, kills 13 neighbours in Camden, New Jersey with a souvenir Parabellum P-08 pistol to become America's first single-episode mass murderer. On September the 7th, Warner Brothers' cartoon Fast and Furious is released. It also marks the debut of Wiley e. Coyote and The Roadrunner. The director is Chuck Jones, who's credited as Charles M. Jones. And lastly, on the 22nd of December, twins Maurice and Robin Gibbs are born in Douglas on the Isle of Man in the UK. Along with their elder brother, Barry, they formed the Bee Gees in 1958 and went on to become one of the most successful groups of the 1970s, with such hits as How Deep Is Your Love, Staying Alive and Jive Talking. But the event we'll be talking about today occurred on the 7th of January, in Knoll, Bristol, in a Lloyds Bank, on a normal Friday afternoon. Word of the Week. And this week, the word I give you is Hamartia, which is a defect of character, error, guilt or sin, especially of the tragic hero in a literary work. Hamartia came from the Greek verb hamartanein, meaning to miss the mark or to err. Aristotle introduced the term in the Poetics to describe the error of judgment, which ultimately brings about the tragic hero's downfall. When looking back on the chain of events Even the witnesses said That it was obvious something strange was going on It all started with a mystery man Seemingly loitering at the Noel branch of Lloyd's Bank On January the 7th, 1949 He was so unobtrusive That most customers didn't even notice him loitering around claiming to be waiting for a friend. But for one customer, John Rowe, a Greyhound trainer who had popped into the bank from the nearby stadium, something just wasn't right. He grew suspicious of the customer of the bank on the corner of Wells Road and Broadwalk in Bristol, as he did not seem in a hurry on that busy Friday afternoon. In fact, Mr Rowe was so concerned, he left the bank, found the nearest telephone box and rang 999. When they picked up, he said, There's something queer happening. The phone call to the police took place at 9 minutes past 3 in the afternoon, and Mr Rowe then headed back to the bank, where he saw the young man leaving. He said to the man, You're in a bit of a hurry, aren't you? The man responded, Collected a debt. Mr. O then told the mystery man, who was trying to get into his car, to wait, and held his car door to stop him going. But the man punched Mr. O in the face and drove off, leaving him to be hit on the head again by the open car door. As our bank robber was fleeing the scene, a disabled man who had just arrived at the bank saw all of this happen, and bravely jumped on the rowing board and hung onto the car until he was thrown into the road as the car went round a corner. Mr Rowe was dazed by the bump on the head, but still managed to remember the registration of the getaway car, an Austin 16 car, JHY 812, and called the police for a second time. Officers led by Detective Chief Inspector Melbourne Phillips arrived and found married Mr Black, aged 50, had been shot in the chest with a 32 calibre gun. The thief managed to get away with £1,444, that's over £42,000 in today's money. And now the detectives moved fast and discovered the getaway vehicle had been stolen that morning from the corner of Temple Way and Victoria Street in Bristol. There had been sightings of the stolen vehicle throughout the day in Bedminster. Between 1 and 2 p.m. it was seen driven by a woman with the murderer. But whilst the robbery was being committed, the woman was not in the car, which was left outside the bank. Eventually the car was found abandoned in Totterdown at 3.45 p.m. Word on the street. Today, we're venturing forth to Padmore Court in BS5 Bristol, which was named after a 17th-century inventor, John Padmore, who came up with a pump for raising water from the river. This was first used in St George by the Bristol Waterworks Company. So, what had actually happened in the bank? Well, the murderer had gone in and said he was waiting for a bookmaker called Murray to show up and he was seen loitering there for about an hour before the robbery. As the bank was approaching closing time, the manager, George Baron Black, aged 50, told the murderer that it was useless for him to wait for the bookmaker any longer, telling him that he had an appointment and the bank was closing. To which the murderer then said... "It doesn't look as if my friend is going to turn up. And he then sat down and wrote a note quickly on the back of a bank paying in slip using a bank pen, which was thought to have been in order to gain a few vital minutes as the bank was cleared and closed. And That almost immediately after that, after the last person left and there would be no witnesses, he shot George Black and took the money. murder was witnessed by 18-year-old assistant Donald Twitt at the branch who threw heavy rulers at the murderer during the struggle before the murderer locked him in a cupboard. As an aside, the assistant was the son of the Bristol Police Inspector, so you can imagine how much effort was put into the capture of this murderer. The assailant was described as young, about 26, around 5 foot 8 inches tall, slim, pale, wearing horn-rimmed glasses with brown wavy hair and wearing a dark overcoat and a green or grey trilby hat turned down at the front. He was also said to have had a dark-coloured briefcase with him. Another intriguing observation was he was said to have a fake US accent. The police said that they were not attaching too much importance to this, describing it as phony. In fact, they said... Most of our spivs think it sounds tough to talk that way. The police also warned members not to approach the murderer, saying that the man... Might try to shoot his way out of a tight situation with a revolver. The police examined the bank for fingerprints and then collected the fingerprints of the bank's 200 regular customers to rule them out because witnesses had noted that the murderer had not worn gloves. The police also followed reports from a taxi driver who said that on the night before the murder, he had driven a couple to the Bristol boarding house. The man answered the description of the murderer. He also said that the woman had been dressed like a land army girl. The murderer had left his scrawled note behind and that was published by the police in the hope that someone would recognise the handwriting. The note read... See you on Monday on 2. Missed you today. And it was signed... Joe. But the note was not addressed, and the police said that they believe that the murderer scribbled it merely as a pretext for remaining in the bank a little longer. The police also said that a note was written immediately prior to the shooting with a bank pen on the back of a paying-in slip. Lloyds Bank offered a £1,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the killer. Chief Detective Superintendent F. Carter, in charge of the case at that point, said that the public were often reluctant to come forward with what they may believe is something trivial. But such matters may be of the greatest importance and anyone who has any information, however trifling it may seem, is asked to come forward at once. A month after the killing, a strange note was sent to the Bristol Evening Post and passed on to the police. It spoke of a blonde lady whose husband was a detective, but was seen talking to a man that matched the killer's description at the Bowling Green Club. The letter also suggested that there could be a connection between Mr Black's murder and that of Robert Parrington Jackson three years earlier, who was the manager of the Odeon Cinema in Bristol that particular crime is covered in podcast episode 321 from June 2022 which is called Murder in the Cinema. During this investigation the police came up against a lot of dead ends. For example an identification parade was held in Brixton Prison after a man was remanded in custody there on a recent case of attempted housebreaking in London. In September 1949, investigations were made in Alston, Cumbria following a bank robbery which ended with the robber shooting himself in the head after he was cornered by the police in a car. The three witnesses from Bristol, from the Noel Bank murder, went up to view the body of Charles Corbett Kennedy, a 24-year-old ex-army officer and racing motorcyclist. The police in Cumbria reconstructed their bank robbery and shooting which had happened on September 13th, 1949, and determined that Kennedy had killed a taxi driver, Ernest Ingram, aged 33, and stole his car, driving it to the Midland Bank in Alston, where he shot the bank manager, Mr Andrew Steele, aged 58, before driving off in the opposite direction, towards Penreath. It was there that he shot himself. Andrew Steele's last words were, I did not surrender. He kept repeating these words even when his wife came to him. Dr Hassan, who was at the inquest into the shooting victim's death, said, Mr Steele told me that when Kennedy came into his office and asked him how much money he had, he advised him to put down his gun. Then he tried to knock it out of his hand and Kennedy shot him. The bullet that killed Ingram, the taxi driver, was found by police using metal detectors in a ditch near the main Stanhope-Fosterley Road, and his body was discovered under a pile of stones. One of the witnesses was Donald Twidd, who by then had joined the RAF, but had been the bank assistant locked in a cupboard. He said that even though the fatal shot had been in the head, there were considerable similarities between Kennedy and the Bristol bank robber. But in the end, after the police compared handwriting samples, They later dismissed this. Our poor victim in all this, George Black, left £1,339 in his will, which was published on Thursday, the 10th of March, 1949. He left his property to his wife for life and then to his daughter. But what of the investigation? Well, 75 years later, And George Baron Black's unsolved murder hasn't been forgotten by Avon and Somerset Police. It's one of its cold case team's oldest murders on the books. And if anyone has any information about it, they can contact Detective Sergeant Peter Frake in the Major Crime Review Team on telephone number 101. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled and settle back to enjoy a selection of 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Whether you're a fan of cosy mysteries, horror, romantic comedies, science fiction or anything else you might find on the bookcase, being bookish is a great place to start. Join me, your host Ray, as I take a joyride through the books on my bookshelves and journey into new territories with recommendations every week. You may even hear a few interviews with authors along the way. Find every episode of Being Bookish wherever you find your podcasts. In the news today, boffins in Bristol have discovered where bad rainbows go. Prism. It's a light sentence. Back in the Day Facts. And so let us begin with the 6th of January 1066, following the death of Edward the Confessor on the previous day. The Witten meets to confirm Harold Godwinson as the new King of England. Harold is crowned the same day and this starts off a succession crisis that will eventually lead to the Norman Conquest of England. On the 7th of January 1956, Bristol Rovers beat Manchester United 4-0, watched by 35,872 spectators at Eastville Stadium. On the 8th of January 1816, Sophie Germain is the first woman to win a prize from the Paris Academy of Sciences for her paper on elasticity. The 9th of January 1967, more of the Monkeys' second album by The Monkeys is released. It features great songs like Mary Mary, Stepping Stone, and I'm a Believer. Within weeks of the release of More of the Monkeys, Nesmith lobbied successfully with the group's creators, Bob Raffleson and Burt Schneider, for The Monkeys to be allowed to play their instruments on future records, effectively giving the quartet artistic control. On the 10th of January, 1840, uniform penny-post mail system starts throughout the United Kingdom, an idea championed by Roland Hill to increase the volume of mail and its availability to poorer classes. The 11th of January, 1569, sees the first recorded lottery in England drawn in St Paul's Cathedral in London. The first prize was £5,000, and other prizes included silver plate, tapestries and high-quality linen cloth. And lastly, on the 12th of January 1939, Timely Comics was founded by American publisher Martin Goodman in New York. It would later be renamed Marvel. Well, I'm afraid that's it from me for this week, but don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place next week. And as always, let's thank those real stars of the show, And this week we have Steve Shepherd and Marcus K.P. from Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as Steve Yeo and Joe Wilson from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, and Tony Allen. Thank you one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.